Welcome back to season three of my podcast. I am Amanda Blackwood, the survivor. As many of you know, I wrote my autobiography as a survivor of human trafficking called Custom Justice. For those of you who didn't know, now you do. Keeping in line with that, this entire season is going to be focused on interviewing other trauma survivors who did or plan to write about their own experiences as trauma survivors and how they overcame their past. Get ready to hear from some truly incredible people. Please hang on for a moment through this brief advertisement. This is what currently pays for the show. Of course, I will also take donations through PayPal to keep the show running, or you can show support by a simple book purchase. I have quite a few out there. Just look for books by Amanda Blackwood on Amazon or Barnes & Noble. Your purchase does go to helping to support local organizations that help fight human trafficking also. Hello. Hi. Hi. Good afternoon, Sherry. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? (laughs) I am hanging in there. It's been quite a day. Uh, I'm going to introduce you real quick. Ladies and gentlemen, I have the distinct honor of being able to talk with Miss Sherry Pate today. She has an incredible story that I think a lot of people are going to really resonate with, and it's going to help some people. So Sherry was impacted by the passing of her mother in ways that most people on the planet cannot even imagine. She and her family experienced stress, abandonment, isolation, character assassination, prejudice, suicidal thoughts, homelessness, hunger, all of this stuff in a very short amount of time. I'm going to let Sherry tell you the story, but I'm going to go, uh, going through all of this as she did during COVID is more than most people can ever even imagine. Sherry, how did, uh, how, oh my gosh, I don't even know where to start. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I was so excited when you decided that you wanted to be on the podcast and I can't thank you enough for being here. It's You're amazing. My pleasure. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Absolutely. So tell me just a little bit about yourself. I know that uh, a lot of this has been impacted by your mother's passing. So tell me a little bit about who you were as a kid, where you grew up and what your family life was like. Um, Okay, that's a good place to start. Beginning. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I was a only child raised by a single mom. And she was a nurse had to work one and a half jobs to support us. We were pretty poor growing up. Um, I remember going to kindergarten. I think my mom's check had bounced at the grocery store. And so I went on my first day of kindergarten without any food. (laughs) But um, she was a hard worker and a good woman. And um, just over time, we kind of got on our feet and and did really well. And um, she's very diligent. And so I had a, a good childhood. I was a only child and a latchkey kid. So I was alone a lot. But um, did well. I enjoyed school. I'm kind of a nerd. I love information. So if you're old, I'm, I'm 47. So like Cliff Clavin from Cheers, like that's me. If you mention <laughs> a subject, I have factoids on it, whether you want them or not. And I can't help it. I just love information. But um, I, I'm a huge Jane Austen fan. And so <clears throat> spent some of my latchkey kid years, you know, watching Jane Austen with some ice cream and had a good, um, had a good youth, uh, became interested in medicine and, uh, prepared to, to take my MCATs and go into medical school and, uh, started down that path and then, um, met my husband and, uh, he's a pastor 
and and I realized that I could um, work with him and basically do the same things that were on my heart, which was helping people and healing people and loving on people, but I could do it in a different way. And so we have had a great marriage. We've been married for 18 years and wow. I have two identical twins who are now taller than me. They're 12 years old and they're huge they're wearing size 12 women's shoes if that gives you any indicator oh my god blue-eyed tall just beautiful uh twins so we have um i've kind of had a family where before i didn't really have family um because i was so alone so i am i'm inundated with family um in my and my personal family and so we're just having a good time and my mom uh moved across the U.S. when she found out, I said the word grandbabies, and I think she booked a, an airplane <laughs> flight that day and, and moved really close and then eventually moved in with us. Um, wow. And then sure enough, I had um, the girls. And so we're kind of more of a, a old world family where we like having multiple generations in the house. So, you know, grandma gets to benefit from the babies, babies get to benefit from grandma. And so our house was very large. So we had an extra room for, and space for my mother. And um, we had a really wonderful family. Wow. Mary for 18 years though. Holy cow. He's got to be your rock. He is. He is everything. I didn't know that I wanted. Um, he is <laughs> honorary in all the right places and he is loving and supportive. And, um, he's my, um, just, just, a, a partner, a true partner. So. Wow. And yeah, as big as your family is, I understand that a neighborhood dog just had puppies on your porch today and then yes. in your living room. Yes. Um, so is your family growing? Or are you going to be keeping any of these dogs? What oh happened? Tell me about this. This is amazing. <laughs> well, um, at the end of our story, we um, ended up on a reservation. My husband is half um, Indian, uh, half native. And so um, we ended up in um, housing, which is helping us get back on our feet. And, and that comes with adventures and stories like uh, roaming dogs in the neighborhood. And, <laughs> and my husband, who doesn't like dogs, got a bed and started feeding them because he doesn't like dogs. And, <laughs> <laughs> and it goes to the dog. Um, this, we woke up one morning getting ready for church on Sunday, and we had puppies in the puppy bed that my husband bought because he doesn't like dogs. <laughs> and then we brought her inside and she had six more and so we've just oh. been inundated with puppies oh my goodness <laughs> oh that's amazing what a day for that to happen <laughs> yes. yes so all my plans we're just doing and mom's really big and clumsy so we're having to do almost 24 hours sitting so we're yeah if I forget my name <laughs> that's uh, that's what happens I'm woefully <laughs> disheveled so oh that's awesome though oh what a good thing to be disheveled about yes puppies <laughs> yes the creation of life it's a beautiful thing my girls are <laughs> delighted oh I bet they are well they're taller than you but how old are they they're only 12 oh um, my gosh which is awkward so we get they get treated like 15 year olds and <laughs> um but they're not <laughs> So, oh my gosh. So my husband owns a gun. <laughs> Hopefully two, since he's got, you know, two daughters. Yes. Yes. One for each hand, like the old Westerns. Yes. <laughs> and they are just as lovely and playful and honorary. And they went through this last season 
they were they became my heroes. I, I, oh. I couldn't believe how well they handled it. If they had been different children or different temperaments, it could have been really difficult, but I really focused on my daughter's character um, all growing up. So this last season was bearable and doable and we're on kind of the other side of it. So, wow. Well, that is the perfect intro to having you tell us a little bit more about this past season. What all has happened in your life to have so experienced so many um, extreme emotions over the last couple of years? Well, um, yeah, it was a lot. <laughs> I guess I have to start a little bit with what we had. Um, we were in a large six-bedroom home in a wealthy suburb of Dallas. We had a, a nice family. It was a small family, but um, very loving and, and good. Um, I had excellent credit. <laughs> uh, I had like an 800 credit. <laughs> um, wow. We all had several jobs. Uh, we traveled around the world. Um, three years ago, I circumambulated the world. Um, wow. We are visiting. We do work with governments. So I was hanging out with royalty. <laughs> um, oh, my gosh. We're just kind of, we, because we love people, we do well with people who are in very difficult circumstances and people who at, at the kind of the higher end of society. And we just love people. So it's easy, but um, we, we had things going on. We had achieved everything that you can achieve. I had two Lexuses in my garage, you know, and we had no debt and, or not much debt. We had just, I think, normal family of one or two here, but um, we were well situated. And then um, my husband's company was expecting an extremely large investment. And uh, that suddenly disappeared through no fault of our own. And they had a court case come against them on a separate issue, which made impacted us indirectly. Um, and then my mom got very sick, very, very sick. And um, it became clear she was going to pass at a young age. Um, she was uh, only in her 60s. And um, mm. I was home. So I was doing all the home care and she became very confused and it was a lot. And she passed once and came back to life, actually came back and oh we had her three more months and it was just very emotional. And um, then she did pass um, and we went, our home went into probate and that um, was an opportunity for a mortgage company to come in and try to look at our financials see in that moment that we were a little vulnerable and then try to steal our home. It's called fraud closure. You can look it up online. The FBI has gone looked at it too, but I guess it's so widespread. They're overwhelmed. Um, wow. So we end up in a battle for our home, but we didn't know we were in a battle until the, basically the tying of the noose. Um, they were, we were doing everything the mortgage company told us to do. We weren't behind in any of our payments at all. We were very prompt. Um, and then all of a sudden we just found ourselves in a place where uh, they put us in foreclosure and said that we hadn't paid and it wasn't true. And it was very strange and they even wouldn't let us pay. And we realized that they were basically seizing the asset and, oh. um, but I, you know, I'm still grieving the death of my mom and also her income, which was, uh, uh, one of the three incomes that was really supporting my home. And so, uh, that was really difficult. And so we, we somehow won after the foreclosure, 
and got it. We were one of the few people who got our foreclosure overturned. But Texas has a law that once your home goes to auction, you cannot repurchase it. Um, it's to prevent a different kind of fraud that we weren't involved in. Um, some people would, would do that so they could buy their own house a lot cheaper. And so we were not permitted to buy our own house. We weren't, we had to move. And so oh my, my beautiful home that I built. I lost Sherry for just a moment. I'm working on bringing her back now. Please stand by. All right. So we were talking about you had just lost your home um, because of the uh, fraud closure methods and the FBI are completely overwhelmed by this. Yes, it's a it's a big thing. It's one of the new crimes that's happening. Um, the problem is it's real kind of un, you don't hear about it. The average family has no idea that they can fall victim to this. Um, and they target you in weak moments, like a parent's death or um, probate. And before you know it, they're playing chess with you, but you don't even know the terms they're using. So it was it was bad. And um, but we were able to um, get the foreclosure turned. Very rare. Um, but yes, we were not able to repurchase our home or continue in it, and so we had to sell. So. Oh my gosh. So how did you guys uh, deal with all of this? I mean, you've just lost your home. You've got a couple of kids. You've got your husband. You just lost your mother. You've got a lot on your plate. Yes. Um, well, if I haven't mentioned it, um, we are pastors, um, missionaries. So we're used to going to India and, and walking through some difficult times and we know that um, kind of when you're you're more in the ministry, um, it's the hardships that make your character form and give you authenticity and and um, mercy and grace and understanding and all of those good qualities that we want in, in some of our leaders. So um, the trick uh, we had kind of heard that our we had a church as well, and we had heard that our our church was. Um, going to be shutting down in our prayer time and sure enough families started moving and getting married and getting promotions and everyone ended up leaving under really happy circumstances and then of course we lost our home um, and so we knew we were obviously in serious transition um, and we thought we had felt called to Florida so we were ready for something new, something bright. And we had been to Florida on a few of our vacations, like most families um, in our region do. And um, we were looking for a new season that was going to be happy and beaches and um, a time to heal from my mom who lived in my home with me passing um, and being an only child and not much family. And um, so we were looking forward to a new chapter. So we um, started uh, hunting for positions in Florida and made a contact who said, don't worry about it. I've got about 13 jobs for you. You can pick one, go ahead and come out. And we had eyed up a rental and they're like, oh yeah, absolutely. This rental is available and this would be perfect. And we were in um, serious negotiations for that as well. They said, just go ahead and come out. And so we did. We we moved to Florida with um, a good chunk of change um, from the sale of our home. We did take a $60,000 hit, though, 
um, and our credit by this time was destroyed. <laughs> so, but we, wow. we thought that was our low point and we were ready to make that turn and experience some reprieve. And so we headed out to Florida and we started um, kind of trying to get ourselves established there. And right in the midst of that, this strange sickness started getting talked about and people started being concerned. And then things got very serious very quickly and uh, COVID had uh, sprung up and scared a lot of people and things that atmosphere in Florida quickly changed. And before we knew it, all the churches were closed. Um, my husband's position had disappeared. Um, the rental disappeared. And um, the, for a season, even the state borders were closed. So we couldn't even go home. And um, they eventually passed a law that um, out-of-staters could not rent in Florida. And they were trying to stop vacationers. It was aimed at vacationers. But we got caught in that. And so oh, no one was allowed to rent to us. <laughs> and we didn't have, a, we couldn't purchase a home. And we were now unemployed. And it was kind of a perfect storm. Wow. Yeah, you get there. You can't leave. You can't stay. What are, you, what are they expecting you to do? I don't know. It's kind of like, it was like, enter the crucible fully and let's turn up the heat. So, <laughs> um, and we had money. So we, we stayed in hotels waiting, trying to wait COVID out. And we've been in life or death situations. We have been um, almost arrested in foreign countries. We've endured wow. hard So we have a lot of faith. So we're just kind of hanging on, waiting for that moment to turn. But we eventually ran out of money. Um, living in a hotel was very expensive. And, um, and it lasted and it kept lasting and it kept lasting and it kept lasting. So um, towards the end, uh, we could no longer afford hotels. And uh, with no jobs um, and no money and no credit, uh, we were down to just our car. And that was all we had. Oh, my gosh. So you had to move your entire family into your car. Yes. Oh my yeah. gosh. Holy cow. So I touched a little bit earlier on some of the emotions that you guys had to, all of you had to go through, you know, yeah. the, the stress, the abandonment, isolation. You mentioned character assassination. So what happened that, that brought about the character assassination and the prejudice? Well, you know, when you're pastors, <laughs> everyone's answer was, oh, go to the churches. Just go to the churches. <laughs> and we went to the churches and um, they were dealing with their own crisis because they, they could not have services. So they had, you know, you've got all of, all of them are being tested as well. How, the, how are they going to survive? And they're uncertain and they're kind of closing shutters. Um, so to show up and needing help, it was a very inopportune time. <laughs> um, and the trick was, is that we didn't look like a homeless family. Um, my children's, we still had all the accoutrements from our good life. You know, I've, I've got a nice ring on my finger. The children have iPads, you know, it, we're in a nice car. 
And so we don't look homeless, um, which I thought would, I don't know, it was a mixed blessing. I, I thought maybe people would be more willing to help that we're not, you know, drug addicts, <laughs> like crazy right? People. But at the same time, um, people started to wonder if we were grifters. And uh. so they, the people I went to could not believe that the churches wouldn't help us. And they're like, that, that's proof that you're lying because the churches would, of course, help you. And I kind of got to undercover boss the churches. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and their hospitality, hospitality programs and their care programs. <laughs> I'm like, hi, um, my name's Sherry and it's my husband and he's a doctorate and I'm a pastor's wife. We're reverends and we have two children and we're living in our car. Can you help us? And um you know, um, in Florida, they have this thing called two and one, you can dial it and, um, they're supposed to give you resources. So the churches would say, well, call two and one. And when we called two and one, they would say, well, go to the churches. <laughs> oh, so, um, and they also had this thing called the list, um, which we worked through the list. Like I had the Salvation Army and I called the Salvation Army and they're used to dealing with hurricanes. Surely they can help a family of four. And they said, um, yeah, we can't do anything for you at all. I'm like, really? Oh. <laughs> I'm like, you're the Salvation Army. I'm like, for Florida, for hurricanes, for Michael. Um, and he's like, yeah, sorry. And then I remember he said, have a good day. And I said, <laughs> I, I have two children living in the car. I, I, I'll, I'll try. <laughs> it was the only thing I could, I could utter. Wow. And uh, it was just really weird. Everyone was expecting somebody else to help us. And we were just getting shuffled back and forth. And, and no one really. Uh, there was a few places, but it was very short. We, your church policy says we can only help you for three days to protect the church. We're like, okay, thank you for the three days. <laughs> but yeah, I went up. So people are like, well, go on, go on the internet. Go and ask for help there. And when I went on the internet, of course, you always end up with internet sleuths that have to prove your story's false. So, you know, we just got destroyed and they're like, you're grifters, you're false, you know. <laughs> wow. But then when they would go far enough in, they, they'd realize that our story was true. And then they're like, oh, well, I wish you the best of luck anyway. And oh. it's like, well, thanks for the stones and I'm all bruised up now, but... Um, yes. Thank you for your good intent, good feelings for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It would be handier if you gave us, you know, corn on the cob or something, but yeah. 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 <laughs> Once you're homeless, you are not, you can't add anything to anybody. You become, um, a person with needs and, yeah. um, and it was, it was very shocking for me because, um, I don't know, you know how, you think people are like you and I've had people in need come to me and they've, I had two spare bedrooms in my old house, a six bedroom, and they would just live with us for six months. And my home was open, but you know, not everyone's like, <laughs> people are different and they have different reasons and different backstories. So I got grace for that, but yeah, it was really challenging. Yeah. I imagine it was. So were you guys ever able to find any services or resources or people to be able to help you to get out of all of this? Not to get out initially. Um, we were so dis 
beaten up on Facebook that some of the people witnessed this. They're like, you guys are so nasty towards this family. And one person had compassion on us and gave us a, um, a convo, con, con, condo for a month. Um, and that gave us a place to rest and sleep and recover a little bit. And then there was a wildfire and we were, we were evacuated from the wildfire. <gasps> oh my gosh. During a pandemic. <laughs> and the challenge with the pandemic too, is that the normal things that, that people would do to like go to the beach, the beach was closed and we'll go to the library. Well, the library was closed. Well, so all those services that homeless people would use were also unavailable and it was, you couldn't go out in public. So we were locked down to just our car, but there was a season where um, we did have jobs. Um, so I was cleaning like $3 million condos. <laughs> I was making like eight, oh 10, my gosh. 15 beds. I would make those beds during the day and clean toilets and clean showers. But then I would go back to my car and I didn't get to sleep in a bed and I didn't get to use a shower. And so it was when things started to open back up again. And so I had sand on me, but it wasn't because I had been to the beach. It was because I had, you know, um, cleaned a rug. <laughs> I had secondhand joy. <laughs> it's just it was challenging. And so even with the two jobs, um, you know, I would make like $85 in a day, which was great, but the hotel room would cost $83. So oh. I, when we had a hotel, we were low on food. And then on the weekend, that same hotel room would go up to $300. So on the weekends, we were definitely in our car, but then we could eat better like Taco Bell. <laughs> so, we always had shelter and we always had food, but, you know, talk about isolation. You're talking about emotions and um, I have never felt more isolated. And of course we had relationships from our old state and I would call every once in a while and they're like, towards Christmas, they're like, well, Sherry, do you have your Christmas tree up? Oh. And I said, well, honey, where would I put a Christmas tree? And she goes, well, in your living room. I'm like, sweetheart, you, you know I'm homeless. She's like, yeah, but you have a living room, right? So I'm like, uh, no, no, honey. Uh, and this is a normal person. This is a dear friend, very intelligent. Um, and I said, no. And she goes, I don't have a living room. She goes, well, where do you guys sleep? I said, we're homeless, honey. I, remember, I'm sleeping in the car. And she knew I was homeless, but she didn't know I was homeless. And right. there was this blindness that was surrounding us as well, where people knew what was going on with us, but didn't, I don't think they could conceive it. And also it was people's worst fear. So I, all of a sudden I had a lot of friends just disappear. They're like, Sherry, I love you, but what you're going through is too hard. And oh. I can't talk to you right now. And so I lost a great deal of friends. I lost, um, I lost people who just I didn't want to witness their worst fears happening. And then I had some people were like, I went to one church and they said, no, you have, you have a hidden sin. That's what it is. You know, oh. repent, repent of this one hidden sin and everything will come back. I'm like, really my house and my mom. And I'm like, <laughs> and if you, wow. if you get to know me at all, I am incredibly like, 
just straight as a whistle. I mean, I, my wedding kiss was my first kiss. Oh, you know, I, oh Sherry, I love that. Um, my, um, my sin level right now is that I eat too many donuts <laughs> and I'm sure there's some like hidden pride there that I'm hunting out and trying to kill um, but I'm very active with my sin I just try to go to and destroy it and um, I'm I'm not a religious person I'm a person who's passionately in love with the Lord and so I take that passion I just try to really clean out everything and so to say I had one hidden sin put everything and all that guilt about what had happened and rested it squarely on my shoulders that I was responsible for what had happened. Um, And I don't think they, I know they don't mean to do that, but that's what happened. And I'm like, well, you know, I'm not perfect. And, and the, um, the standard for me is incredibly high. So maybe it is me. What if, maybe I'm doing something and then, you know, it, there's just spirals and holes that you can go into when you're still in active grief and you've lost your home and your children are sleeping in the back seat and you're turning to the churches and they're like, well, we have a place where you can stay, but we're going to kick you out of it in three days because we're afraid you might steal our sound equipment. And oh. then and I, at that moment, I'm like, if you think for a second that I would steal anything, we're back in the car. I don't need, I don't want you having that fear. That's not who I am. <laughs> and, and honestly, at that second, I burst into tears. It was one of the few times I cried. I'm like, to go from being you know, um, being with royalty <laughs> to uh, leading conferences in churches to being an honored speaker and then to to go to try to stay a couple nights in a church and being told that you might steal um, was shocking for me. Um, and that was part of that. Just it, the level of the crucible hit and every possible um, from mom guilt um, to, um, to grief, to your mom, to having your friends leave. It was onto finances to, you know, wondering how, I think all of us live our life thinking there's a safety net a little bit under us. And we certainly experienced that. I mean, we've encountered miracles upon miracles, actual miracles. And so that safety net that had always been under us seemed to have disappeared. And we kept dropping and dropping and dropping and dropping. And I didn't know um, our cat who was in our car. We had two cats in the car in a litter box. Yeah. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Um, One of our cats went escaped in the middle of the night while we were using the bathroom, a bathroom run, and we lost a cat. Our car started having electrical problems. It was a pretty new car and suddenly it's not starting. And then my husband's really fragile medically. And it was, we didn't know how serious COVID was. They kept announcing all the deaths. And I'm like, I'm going to lose my, my cat. I'm going to lose my car. I'm going to lose my husband. And if things get much worse, I might lose my children um, because I'm not able to provide. And, and if that happens, I might lose me. You know, I, if that was the ultimate crux, if, if I lose my babies and that's what I'm fighting for, 
then there is no point anymore at that point. It, if everything has turned away and if, if, if the Lord's done with me and if maybe this is how we end, my story ends. And um, I have lots of promises of things that are coming in the future. So I, I clung to this so strongly, um, but it was incredibly isolating. And we call some of our prayer partners, just pastors who we know. And, and for some reason, they were saying the strangest things to us, just almost gut punching us. You know, if you knew the Bible better, you wouldn't have lost everything. <sighs> just like, and people who should know better, who know better, who know <sighs> know better who i i don't think they could hear themselves um <laughs> i think if i had repeated their words back to them they would have been really shocked by what they said to us because i know that's not their heart i know they're that's not where they live um but even when people were talking with us the grace was gone and it was just and so so sometimes we'd run out of gas and if you run out of gas you can't go to the food pantry yeah. And if you go to the food pantry, they might give you food if you have shelter. But if you lose shelter, then they stop feeding you as well because you don't have an address. And so you run into all these really weird things where people respect policies over people. We could feed you, but you just lost your hotel room. So now we're choosing not to feed you because you don't have an address. You know, like, wow. <laughs> sure, that makes a difference in my belly, <laughs> whether I have an address or not. So, um, yeah, hitting all my emotions and I'm pretty tempered person. You have to do a lot to, to really disturb me, to make me angry. I almost never get angry, but, um, what I forgetting to mention is at the beginning of all this, I asked that the Lord would help me love the poor because I, I understood that from my lofty tower, I was loving the poor with, um, you know, a casserole dish and good intentions and a lot of blindness and I could recognize that myself and I didn't want I didn't want to stay that way um and so and I also wanted the Lord to prepare my children gently for missions <laughs> so that they could serve people and love people and not be little princess snobs you know because if you saw a picture of my house and you know it's this little small castle <laughs> just to be honest but, um, it, but we used it to serve people. So I, 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 I was okay with it, but yeah, a lot of cat character assassination, a lot of, and I have, um, premenstrual dysphoric disorder, just being honest with you and your audience. Mm -hmm. Um, and that is basically postpartum depression. It's you once a month and oh. comes with its own beast. Um, if you do any research on that, it's a pretty severe, um, it's your brain not handling the chemical influx well, and it causes terrible suicide thoughts. So because of who I am, I, I manage that well and I handle that well on a normal basis. But in lieu of the absolute onslaught that we were facing, um, I still managed it well, but it was, it was, I needed some light. I needed, I needed some hope. Yeah. And it, it got really dark. And then it was in the middle of winter, so it literally was dark. <laughs> you know, it's like I'm sitting in the car in the dark and the passenger side for 12 hours, not being able to go anywhere, do anywhere, see anywhere, being in a city where nobody knows us and just wondering how we're going to get out of this situation. You know, when you filled out the little questionnaire thingy I sent out for the uh, 
for the podcast, you actually talked about that. Uh, you said something about sitting in the dark for 12 hours in the passenger seat. And that's when you started to write. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, the name of your book and why you named it that and what your book is about? Sure. Yeah, I I am. Um, when you're living in your car and you're in Florida, um, and we didn't stay in the car often, but obviously there was some of those nights where we just couldn't afford it. Um, I, I stayed watch while my family slept. So my husband would sleep. He was a, a diabetic, couldn't afford insulin. So his sugars were going up to 600 and staying at 600 for months and months. And he was losing weight. His feet were swelling, couldn't lay down. You know, that's one thing when you're homeless, you can't lay down. You're not allowed to lay down anywhere. So I tried to let him sleep and let my babies sleep. And of course they had their iPads and um, we were doing school in the car. Yes. Um, but he's a doctorate and I was pre-med. So we're, we're erudite where we um, know how to, find resources and educate our girls and um but anyway um in the evenings yeah uh we get some popcorn and they watch a movie and it felt like a camp out wasn't too bad but then <laughs> we'd go to sleep and it was just me and I needed to keep watch I needed because the people who you would turn to for safety like the police suddenly become someone you need to be careful of you know if you're in the wrong parking lot um, if you stay too long someplace, if somebody calls on you, if um, there's a variety of situations. And then, of course, Florida has its own wily homeless population that you need yeah. to actually keep an eye out for. And so I would, um, I would stay up all night and watch as my family slept. And so that's 12 hours, 6 p.m., 6 a.m., 7 a.m., 8 a.m. of darkness. Um, and... I had my computer. And so I just, I had a story in my head that just suddenly filled my head. And I, I, I decided I might as well just write it down. I've got a laptop. I've got keyboard in front of me. Let me just start writing. And I just opened up a document. I just started writing and it started pouring out of me and weird things started happening. I started writing about things and then I would need certain things to happen for my story and I would look them up and they actually did happen in real life. There was this really strange favor on my story where I would need a certain person to go through a certain town at a certain time. And I'd look it up in history and, uh, and they did. And I was having all these strange things I couldn't explain. And it was a love story, which as a pastor's wife, you know, <laughs> writing a love story is not um it's not a lot of things it's not normal it's not advisable it's not I don't know there's a lot of emotions tied with pastors wives writing um a clean romance novel um I don't know I don't know any others who do it wasn't my plan um and I wasn't writing to publish I was just writing because all of a sudden I was in an adventure um I, I have some pretty amazing characters and, and they're honorary and, and they're willful and they're passionate and, and there's, there's danger coming and they surmount it and they're together and they're, they're going through this dangerous kind of journey together. And, you know, suddenly I was captivated in my story and hours went by and I wasn't alone in the dark in the passenger side not able to sleep because my chair doesn't go all the way back 
and my tushy is sore because I'm sitting in the car so much and I'm just kind of whisked away on this story. And because I'm a little erudite <laughs> and a bit of a nerd, if I'm going to write, I want it to be something compelling and something that captivates me and something that makes me laugh. And I love to laugh. So I, I have, I'm a weird pastor's wife because I'm, um, <laughs> I'm very passionate and I love the Lord and I'm honorary and we have a, a sense of humor. So we laugh all the time and I wrapped all that into my story. And so um, I wanted to write things that made me giggle and um, you know, I have a sad scene and it made me almost weep and I wanted it to be compelling enough to capture, to capture my attention because in that moment I was writing for myself. Wow. That's amazing. That sounds like the exact reason why somebody would want to write. Um, do you have a little bit that you'd like to share with the listeners? I, I, I could absolutely. Um, I have a small scene that's about three pages and I have it a little bit wider that's five pages that gives a little more context, but um, I can do either for time. I can do the small bit. You know, whichever one you would like to share, um, <laughs> I, I'm going to let you have free reign with this one because your story is incredible. So you, you oh. take it away. <laughs> okay, well, in that case, I'll, I'll start a little bit uh, and then you can snip if you need to. Uh, so I have to get a little bit of context. Um, my story is called A Change of Color and it's about a British uh, major who is charged with capturing, uh, taking, transporting a captured spy Um it's a, there's just a, been this spy in the ranks that's been causing all problems with the British during the American Revolution. And they finally capture the spy and he is honored to, he gets the privilege of, of transporting this spy that they finally captured, that they've been hunting for. And when he arrives, um, it is, he's full of anger and, <laughs> and he's, he's got all those man emotions going and it's a woman, it's a young, injured woman and he's just kind of taken aback obviously and um and he, she's hurt she's been shot so he has to care for her and obviously all of his guard all of his anger kind of melts away and here he is taking care of this young beautiful injured woman and curiosity what is she doing why is she doing this what's going on all of this and um so the man's name is sydney the major and um they don't have a name for the woman yet so they call her katie and um and then they he has a partner named harris who is my comic relief so i think with that intro i might give you the smaller version uh, let me see. Okay, let's see. And I'm not used to reading it aloud, so please forgive me for any mishaps. Of course. So they've been traveling on the journey. Um, he is he is moving her from north um, of an outpost um, up in the mountains down to Charlottesville, and they're running into all kinds of problems. They find shelter in a cave, and the cave has those beautiful stalactites, stalagmites. Sydney has been wounded. And so this is kind of a moment where their kind of barriers are coming down and they're being forced to interact and get to know each other a little bit. <laughs> so, okay. So Harris walked up to the major. Let her look at your cut as he motions towards his wound. I need to start cooking the fish. 
I can wait till after dinner, Sydney assured him. I don't like blood, and I've never sewn up a man before. She's a woman. She must know how to sew. Katie, have you sewn up a wound before? Katie turned away from admiring the walls and answered, yes, many times. Ah, my wife has skills. Um, she was pretending to be his, her, his wife um, because of people people who are attacking them. That's a little side note. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, you see, sir, done, he said with great satisfaction. More like mutiny, Sidney muttered. He grabbed the lantern and sat by the fire for best light. Katie bent down on her knees and moved closer to help. Do you have a fishing hook, she asked. Yes, uh, let me remove your, uh, wait, wait, where are your shackles? I just took them off. Where's the fishing hook? Ugh. Full mutiny, he muttered to himself. It is in, it's in that bag wrapped in leather. He watched intently as she located the fish hook and carefully inspected the seams at the bottom of her dress. She used the fish hook to cut a thread and then to pick at the thread in several places, yielding her a long intact piece she deemed useful. She carefully tied it to the hook. Let me see, she insisted. He stretched out on his side so the wound would be more accessible. He felt foolish, foolish for falling, foolish for getting hurt, and now for needing help. After inspecting the wound, it should be, I should be able to close it easily. It's not deep, it's clean, straight cut, she assured him. I'm going to go clean the fish by the river. Are you okay, sir? Harris asked as he was leaving. Yes, Sydney answered. He didn't know why, but he knew she wouldn't try to escape. Harris seemed to know this too. He was distracting himself, trying to discover the reasons behind his conclusion when he felt her hand first touch his side. Abruptly, those thoughts ceased, and he turned his thoughts directly to the moment. She took the end of the hook and stuck it in the fire and let it cool. Ready? she asked. Yes. The first stab of the hook was sharp. His head went back as he winced in pain. She placed the other hand on his arm to comfort him, and their eyes only met, their eyes, <laughs> their eyes only met, oh, they caught eyes only once and both turned away. How many times have you done this? He asked, voice strained. More times than I would care to, she said with confidence. Another stab, another wince. You have had moments when you could have tried to escape, like this one. You could take the horse and flee. They were more aware that they were alone. The formality of the outpost was gone. The bars of her cell that had kept her separate were gone. I'm still recovering. My odds would be low, especially with the snow, she confessed. Stab, wince. Strained, he continued. Does your family know you're a spy? One does, she answered as she pulled the thread through. Stab. Do they know you've been captured? He asked with concern. I don't know for sure, she replied. Stab. Tell me something about you, anything, anything to divert. Um, I have unusually strong feelings against pickles. It's a special <laughs> kind of passion I, I can't quite explain. It's a terrible abuse of a perfectly fine cucumber. And have you seen people eating them? It looks like they're eating giant legless frogs. It's all very <laughs> odd. He was distracted. The pain of the sharp hook seemed to fade into the background. And what do you hate as much as pickles? Mosquitoes. Oh, 
They are the smallest members of Satan's army. It's impossible to be a lady when a mosquito is present. I think I'm a calm, rational creature, but they so easily provoke me. I will stay up all night and swing at the walls like a mad woman until a mosquito is dead. And what would be its opposite? What do you like? Um, I like being inside on a rainy day. I love the smell of Christmas and the smell of baking bread. I'm tying the thread off now, almost done. Was it worth it, being a spy? I hope so. She scooted away and put her, the hook back in the fire to clean it. There is a plant root. I have already seen it close by. It helps prevent infections. I'd like to cover your wound with it before I apply the bandage, if that's agreeable. I can explain to Harris what it looks like, or if you trust me, I can gather it now. He slowly pulled himself back up and studied her. He searched her eyes. He already knew he trusted her. He searched for the why. Seated but a foot apart with the fire behind them, they both took this moment to really look at each other, unabashed and unreserved. He watched, surprised, as her breathing quickened and deepened. Her color changed. For the first time, he saw it. She was attracted to him, and he suspected that she might have some understanding that he might have feelings for her as well. Abruptly, she turned away and stood up. Uh, I'll wait for Harris. He should be back any moment. It caught her by surprise when he stood up right behind her. With vulnerability in his voice, he asked, why do I trust you? She was hit with a flood of emotions that restrained herself. She turned to face him and replied, you shouldn't. I, I, I am the enemy. Her tone never matched her words as she spoke with no sign of antipathy. Harris entered. If I had sewn you up, sir, you'd look like a dodgy sock puppet trying to merge from your side. <laughs> Good Lord, Sydney replied. Go with Katie and help her find a plant she requires. Okay, that's the end of the little scene. That is awesome. It had me really interested. I'm going to have to check this out. So when people want to grab this book, where do they go to find it? Um, it's, I don't have the money to edit it. I ended up in a homeless shelter and I what? started my editing in the homeless shelter. Um, but, uh, I am, it's on Kindle Vela right now and Vela has the first three chapters free and then you just pay for tokens to get, um, a few more. I am working on putting it in paperback and I hope to publish in the next couple months. Now I'm going to drop the big reveal on you guys. I, I'm going <laughs> to spill the tea. Um, she is actually his childhood sweetheart. Um, he was he was kidnapped by the British as a young boy to act as a powder runner on the ships. So he grew, he was captured from his home in Virginia and grew up on the British ship as a British and um, went up through the ranks. And he believes he's British, but he's not. And part of the reason she became a spy was to find him, track him down. She finally did because they changed his name. And so she allowed herself to be captured so that she could help get him out of this world. And in the end, there are several big reveals that are just marvelous. And um, he finds out that he was captured, that he's, um, he's not British, um, that that's his childhood sweetheart. And he has to turn her in to be killed, um, oh. to be uh, tortured actually. And um, 
whether he turns her in or not. Um, and I'm going to spill the tea. I'm going to spill the tea. He does turn her in to be killed and finds out the next day that it was his childhood sweetheart. Um, oh. It does have a happy ending. All is well, but I will let you discover how. And there's a few other just big reveals that are just, um, I'm proud of the story. I'm trying trying really hard to get to paperback because the story is compelling me to just to get it out. So I'm sure you'll love it. You will laugh. Um, you might cry. Um, the characters are pretty, pretty fun. <laughs> fun to write. That's awesome. Yeah, this sounds like something I would love to read. I love historical pieces anyway. Um, when you get a chance, can you send me a message uh, with the link to the Kindle Vela so that I can put that in the description and send more people over there to read this story because it sounds really good. Yeah. This is awesome. Yes, and it has a sequel called A Change of Color, which is the true story behind the Purple Heart, which is also fantastic. Wow, very so cool. Change of color and then change of heart. And so they're coming out and I am, yeah, I'm very excited. So I, I was awesome. not planned on being an author, but um, there you go. It took a crucible to produce it. So <laughs> yeah, maybe you have more than one calling in life. Um, possibly, possibly we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> So before we go, I've got one last question that I love to ask people um, just to see how you see yourself. So what is one thing that you love about yourself that is not based on your physical appearance? Um, well, obviously, when you're in the crucible, you get to look at yourself really closely. You might hear a puppy in the background. <laughs> um, and I, I had every reason to give up, and I didn't. And... Um, I know lots of marriages that wouldn't have survived what we went through. Um, so I'd say that one characteristic is I, I'm faithful um, and I'm honest. Um, I had, I, when I was cleaning some of the condos and some of the office spaces, there was like leftover food in the conference room at like eight o'clock at night. There was like two cupcakes and I know I probably could have had one and I know it probably would have been okay. And it probably, but I just, I just wouldn't do it. And I just tried to uphold to the highest possible um, for myself, just, just also the hopes that I would get out of the situation if I stayed the course and I stayed faithful and I didn't give up hope and I kept my integrity and I didn't steal a single thing, even when I was hungry and even when I was desperate. And, um, and I got that tested. You hope that's in you. You hope you're faithful. You hope your marriage is fireproof, but you don't really know until you go through um, the fire. And so, um, that's, that's what I hope is there in me. That's what I hope I saw in me. And I hope that's what grows in me still. Cause I have still have some growing to do. Absolutely incredible. You are definitely a much better person than I would ever be. Cause I guarantee I would have had not just the one cupcake, but both of them. Uh <laughs> <laughs> well, I was I didn't say I was intended. I didn't, I, <laughs> I looked at them more than once and I had, and then I had to go vacuum. Yes. <laughs> so. 
I, I, I am a Christian woman. I am a very honest Christian woman. So I probably would have done something like left a note going, hey, I ate this. You can go ahead and take it out of my salary. I'm sorry, but I was hungry and I couldn't resist. <laughs> but I would have eaten them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just tried to remain above approach, especially because I was being yeah. attacked so much. My yeah. character and my the character assassination and, and along the areas of trafficking, um, we would have to use public bathrooms. And I would always tell my girls, wash you need to you need to stay kept. You need to brush your hair. But sometimes they'd wake up really quick and have to pee. And we went into a restroom at three in the morning because we had to use public restrooms. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lady saw us and I could tell her she was looking at us weird. And here I am with two, my girl's hair just goes wild. They just have massive hair and it, it was bedhead. It was wild. And, you know, I got two girls at three in the morning at a gas station and they look unkept at that moment because they just woken up. And um, we did get a call. Um, we did, they did do a welfare check because they were concerned I was trafficking. Oh, wow. Um, daughters <laughs> and um, the character assassination again and so we did have a police officer found our plate and knocked on us at the hotel room and they found my girls happy and showered and reading last of the mohicans and, <laughs> and you know um just doing very well and he heard our story and of course it wasn't what he was expecting and because my husband has a doctorate and you know and I we just weren't we weren't the average homeless people but there was a lot of prejudice around that. So, so I definitely do have a heart for those who have gone through trouble. My eyes are open now. My compassion is just a hundredfold what it was before. I know how to find the lost and love on them properly or not properly, but without a casserole and good intentions and condescension, you know, and I had people say, well, we have to teach you something before we can give you food. We have to, you have to take a class for a $25 gift card. I'm like, well, he's a doctorate and I'm pre-med. What are you hoping to teach us? <laughs> and, you know, it's like, and that was another thing is people approach the homeless and the poor, like they have to be educated. And um, there's some very, my girl's best friend, um, he had lost everything in a custody battle for his daughter and became homeless with his daughter. Um, and they lived in a storage unit. Oh my um, gosh. And he had his own private business. He, um, in Florida, he sold, um, sold uh, kayaks in Florida and was doing very well. And all of a sudden that hit and he lost everything fighting for his daughter. And so we all go through hard places and sometimes not because we did something wrong because we were doing things right. So, yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Wow. Sherry, it has, this has been just absolutely amazing. I am so glad you were able to spend this time with me today and we got rid of those connection problems. Um. <laughs> yeah, so sorry, I didn't know what was going on there. But thank you for <laughs> hanging tough with me. Of course. And when that second book is ready, let me know. I'd love to have you on the show again. Absolutely. Thank you so much. It was such a privilege. And I hope this just speaks some a little bit of life into your audience. And I know what it's like to have to be judged and judged severely. 
and when you're just trying to survive and you just need a, a little bit of hope and someone to believe in you. And, and I, I just hope that your audience just feels loved and encouraged and, and feels some kind of hope that they will get out. We're, we're coming out now and doing better. We have home and a shelter and we're getting our feet under us. And so, you know, it was just a season. It was a horrible season, but it, it was just a season. There's brighter days, so. Yeah, and now you got a, a porch for puppies to have their babies oh, on. My gosh, puppies! <laughs> gosh, we're not even dog people. <laughs> we're, we're living in a city we 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 both agreed we never wanted to live in, and we're forced <laughs> to live in this city. And we don't like pit bulls, and we're surrounded by pit bulls, and and we have pit bull puppies, and and everything we said that we we would prefer not to have. Yes, we're walking through it. We're walking through it. So, <laughs> with grace. Fortitude. Yes. Puppies. Yes. Puppies. <laughs> God has definitely decided to test you guys. Oh man. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <Definitely tested. laughs> but Def you're turning trials into triumphs and I'm super proud of you. Thank you. It, it trying. Yes. Yes. And so little acts of kindness, those friends who did stand by us and those couple strangers helped us out from time to time. It's a little bit of kindness goes so long. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Sherry, this has been amazing and I cannot thank you enough. Thank you so much. Thank you again for the opportunity and good luck to you and your audience. It's been a pleasure and a delight. Thank you. I'm going to send you all my love. This is so cool. <laughs> I don't even know you and I love you. It's agape <laughs> love. <laughs> Faleho, I think. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> Not to get technical because I am a nerd and that <laughs> just popped out of my mouth as promised. So sorry. I love it. No, you're allowed. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> now correct me when I need it. I'm still uh, new to this world. I'm learning a few things. No. <laughs> uh, I have so much. Yes. Yes. It's a big world. Well, yes. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Um, have a wonderful night and uh, hopefully we'll be speaking with you soon. All right. Thank you so much, Amanda. All right. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Bye.